huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Rob Moore bringing you a new format of the podcast. I want to keep it fresh, different, exciting, innovative, disruptive for you. So for the first time, we're bringing you a live interview at a live event. Now, I'm going to cut you into that in a minute or two. Just wanted to introduce it to you. So this is a different style. And I personally interview live someone who's a really, really big name in the UK. So he won Strictly Come Dancing, which is like probably one of the biggest reality TV shows in the UK. He won silver medal. Actually, it was kind of joint gold, really, at the Olympics in gymnastics. And no one in the UK wins anything at gymnastics. I mean, no one can even touch their toes in the UK. So this person that you'll be hearing a live interview from is, is really quite a big name and something completely different. He's not someone that goes and does all the podcast interviews around. So this is really fresh and, and I'm really excited that you're going to be listening. So I'm going to cut you in in one moment. A little bit of, I suppose, a teaser or a trailer is that he talks a lot about practicing like it's a competition so that when you compete, it's like a practice session. And I remember listening to Bob Rotella's golf audio programs. He said the same thing. And the person I'm going to interview shares a great story about how he was doing his gymnastics routine for, you know, for his silver medal. And he was just thinking about what he was going to eat for dinner. And he was just totally in the zone. And it was just all natural because of his practice before. He talks about critics, haters, trolls. And because, you know, the media really get in. He's one of the biggest celebrities in the UK. So the media really get into him here. And he talks about how he deals with that. He talks about how he's succeeded. He succeeded at a very young age in his teens and then also as he gets to the end of his career what he does to keep up with those young talent that come through and kind of you know are almost uh, chewing at his heels if you like so no more long intros make sure you listen to the whole thing it's quite a long one but you're gonna love it I don't think you've heard anything like this before so I'm going to introduce you to me interviewing live at a keynote speech at Progressive HQ the joint gold medalist on the horse the gymnast Lewis Smith Okay, hands up, who's not doing commercial commercials at the moment? Okay, now keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Only lower your hands if you think you would never do a commercial conversion. Okay, so I think most people have left their hands up. So that's inspiring, isn't it? Isn't that a brilliant session? Yeah. This man needs no introduction, so I'm going to get off the stage. Okay, how you doing? 
so our keynote speaker or keynote interviewee is just being fluffed downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a correct, isn't it? Um, I thought it was actually a bit of a secret, but probably you all know who it is. Uh, uh, from Peterborough as well. The second biggest celeb in Peterborough. Alright, so, just as we're getting ready and finishing off stuff there, uh, I want to help you as much as I can. Have you got any questions about your property journey? Maybe some of the stuff I talked about earlier. Is there anything I can help you with? Answer any burning questions. Ah, so I've just been asked, what's this Progressive Academy? So this Progressive Property Academy is the relaunch of our online portal that we actually started in 2010, uh, where we're going to put, we're going to become much more interactive online. Many new trainings online. Every legal document you'll need. There's 63 so far, but we're adding to it all the time. And our vision for that is to become the UK's go-to resource for all things property. It's a subscription-based programme, but as VIP members you get that free. So I did make a post on the VIP group saying you will probably hear from us somewhere. It might be from one of our marketing team. It might be from Kajabi or what looks like an automated email, which will be giving you your login details. If you did subscribe to that, let us know and we'll make sure that we give you your pound back. And we stop, but very importantly, you don't have to keep subscribing, you know, you get it. For, for the lifetime of being a VIP. Joy, what's your name? Joy. Hi, Joy. Is that the same for ICM members? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for you, it's double. <laughs> for you, it's triple. <laughs> um, I don't think it planned to be the same for ICM members because it's a property based thing. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so, so no. <laughs> 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 Remember the order of support and challenge. Alright, so keep them coming. Any questions I can help you with? Why do you keep giving me logistics questions? Do you all know what your values are? Do you all have this clear vision? Yes. Remy, what's your name, sir? Remy. Hello. Hi, Remy. I've got a question about the value you uh, spoke this morning. Um, how do you get your staff, not necessarily to buy into their value, but you know, you, you, you sometimes have staff and then they're not really yes. motivated. How do you get them, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting some of mine to yep. work, read some books, sure. and, but you know, they're not really buying into it. No. So people won't do anything you want them to do. They'll do what's most important to them. And therefore, uh, as a staff member, they won't necessarily read books if it's not high on their values, and they won't necessarily embrace what you want them to do. If you find out their values, you can sell them how what you want them to do helps fulfill their values. But you have to find out their values first. So if someone, now I'd rather that they had careers somewhere in the top five, if they're working for you. If they don't, then it might be a different conversation, involving a piece of paper beginning with P. Um, but that was your fault for hiring them in the first place. But I would say, Assuming their career is important to them, let's say their family is most important to them and travel is important to them. If you want to get them reading and embracing certain things, you can say, well look, if you read and embrace this, it'll probably help you work less hours, or you'll be able to be more effective, more efficient, therefore you can have more weekends off and you can spend more time with your family. But you'd only know to sell them on what you want them to do if you knew what their values are. 
So this is what, this supersedes all leadership, all influence, all persuasion, all manipulation. Because as soon as you know what someone's values are, it's really easy to influence them. For example, Mark, and, and he, he doesn't make any bones about it, but he doesn't go bragging or talking about it, but Mark's highest value is making money. Because he went through the exercise, I asked him to go through the exercise too. So if I wanted to do anything that's not really into, like talks like this, because you won't see him now for another year, that's it. You've had your 45 minutes in a year. But if we want him to do, we're getting, uh, based on the feedback from you, we're going to get to do a webinar on Thursday night, more detail about these tax changes. So make sure you, sure you subscribe to that. I told him we'll probably have a lockout, which means we'll probably have a thousand, but he doesn't need recognition, so the number doesn't mean anything to him. But I said, but four or 400, 450 people will probably join the membership site. And that's an extra £4,500 a month for the business. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> but if he said to me, you'll have a thousand people on a lockout webinar, yeah, I'll do it. Because I could possibly get a bit more love, which I clearly didn't. <laughs> so does that help, Ruby? Yeah. Now, how do you find out someone's values? It's really, 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 really easy. You ask them, what's most important to you in your life? That's just all you have to ask. Now, as long as they don't feel they're being coerced, you know, because you've done it in a bit of a, a kind of a false way. It's just conversational. But you know anyway, how do they fill their space? What do they talk about a lot? What do they think about a lot? Where do they spend their money? It's easy to know if, some, if money is important to people, because if it is, they've got a lot of it, and they don't spend it and waste it. But if it isn't, they will trade money for, say, beauty products, or lots of health subscriptions and protein shakes and anything else, because health and fitness might be more important than money. Or many courses. <laughs> I think that should be number one on everyone's face. Alright, now, growth and progress is, as you know, my top value. Hence why I have spent nearly £700,000 of mostly Mark's money on training and development. Because if growth and progress wasn't, I wouldn't feel the need to do that. So all those are people that say you shouldn't do courses. Education, growth, progress and learning is just isn't high in their values. Maybe because they got where they wanted to get. Or maybe they're just not interested in it. So never judge yourself or make yourself feel right or wrong or better or worse, especially not wrong, about what you've done with someone else's or society's values imposed upon you. Okay, anyway, enough of me. Please stand up. So I'm really excited to be interviewing a man who is definitely the most successful man that's ever been born in Peter <laughs> So the man I'm about to bring to the stage he became Britain's first Olympic gymnasts medal winner in the last 100 years. Which is a, a big thing, it's pretty amazing. He won the Pommel Horse Silver Medal and the Team Bronze at London 2012. You may know that, you may not. And that made him Britain's most successful gymnast ever. He's awarded an MBE, just to put the icing on the cake. Current European champion. He won Strictly Come Dance in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's one of the Please give a huge round of applause for Mr. Lewis Smith! <laughs> okay, so this is our little Peterborough posse. Strictly, accolade got the biggest cheer. <laughs> <laughs> There's all this build up, and obviously, we're strictly on the biggest. 
<laughs> Alright, so here's how we're going to play it for all of us, nice and relaxed. Uh, we've got about 10 of your questions you've already submitted, we'll go through those. If you have any questions, we'll do a Q&A uh, once that's done, so please do get any questions ready. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So here we go. First question for Lewis from you is, what motivates you in your hardest moments? Uh, well, I haven't done gym for 22 years. Uh, oh, sorry, how old are you now? 26. <laughs> <laughs> started when I was four. So, I'm not um, so yeah, I haven't done gym for 22 years. It was, uh, you're always hitting off the course here, there and everywhere. Uh, different, different periods. Yeah. The, the first kind of real difficult time was when you were around 14, 15, 16. You're in school, you're doing good in gymnastics, but then your friends are going to do different things, you're going to party in. Getting girlfriends for the first time, someone's had their first sip of alcohol and tells everyone you want to try it. You know, it's, it's times like that when you start to, make, start to make a decision. And then you get to about 18, 19, and then start to realise you've suddenly got bills to pay. You know, I can't just rely on 20 pounds pocket money anymore. Uh, you know, people are starting to get jobs and you're also trying to do a full-time uh, gymnastics career. Um, you know, so, so that was also a, a very difficult time. And then you move to the, to the kind of peak of my career around kind of 2012 time, you know, all the stresses of, of trying to deal with that. And now the back end of the career, I'm trying to keep the body together, you know, the young you know, little whippets coming out and trying to take your spot. <laughs> and, uh, so there's all these different challenges. But I think the most challenging time was uh, in between being around 16, 17, 18 and then trying to focus towards 2012. Uh, it was a massive, massive time in my life. You know, your life pretty much gets flipped up like upside down. And there's no one within British gymnastics, I don't know what type of different sports, but there's, there's no one that prepares you to be thrusted into the spotlight and the media. Um, you know, I went from being an 18, 19 year old lad just to go uptown, get two drunk, get a kebab on the way home, <laughs> just to spill half of it in the taxi, wake up the next day. You know, here's some pizza for us. And these are things, obviously, I won't do right before competition, but these are things I do in my downtime. And these are the kind of things that keep me just being a normal lad. And then all of a sudden, you know, I went to the Olympic Games in Beijing, I won my first ever medal there in 2008. And then I come home, and then I suddenly have kids waiting outside my door. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand why people were coming to me asking me for pictures, and, you know, there was ITV were coming to me, live interviews from my living room. so crazy. I literally didn't leave my bedroom for about six months. The only time I left was to, to eat food or to go to training and come home. It was just such a hard, depressing time. Because the life that I used to live was suddenly gone, just like that. So that was the hardest point. Uh, anything else that was, was a bit of a breeze. Um, but yeah, I get, I get a lot of my inspiration from my mum. Uh, she was a single parent in it all. Um, you know, she sacrificed literally everything to help me and my older brother. Get to where we are. So yeah, any time anything really hard, you know, I just I just get so much inspiration and you know, back to see what the world's going to Thank you, So what makes you go the extra mile, put that extra effort in to push yourself to be the very best that you can be? Well I think I think the most important <coughs> thing is to is to believe in yourself. I hundred percent without a doubt believe that I could be one of the best gymnasts in the world. And having that belief 
then allows me to go on and, and start to achieve the things I want to achieve. If I if I had in the back of my mind, yeah, I'm all right, but I don't ever think I'm going to quite get there. You're setting yourself limits already. So as long as I believe that I can be the best in the world, that was the end goal. You know, I couldn't be better than that, so I wasn't limiting myself. So I used to go in the gym, I used to work with the right people, with the right coaches, I used to push myself, work hard, with the vision that one day I could be one of the best in I strongly believe that. And it doesn't always work for everyone, but when it doesn't, you haven't sold yourself short. You know, you give it 100%. Whereas for me, you know, I was able to, to reach that goal. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have any self-doubt? Do you have self-doubt? I think it's natural to have self-doubt. But then again, it's, it's also important to have the right people around you. Um, surround yourself with positive people. Um, <coughs> you know, you can be in the darkest way possible, there'll always be a light at every time. Um, you know, I've had my mum there, I've had my coach, I've had my brother, family, friends, and I've, I've carried the same kind of people with me uh, from day one. So whenever there's been self-doubt, or, or, you know, I've, I've felt like, do you know what, maybe I can't quite do this. I've always had someone there to help me get to where I'm going to. And uh, what if you hadn't? There's only so much you can do on your own. You know, believing in myself is the first step. You know, so many other things that have to fall in place for you to get where you want to go. But yeah, it would have been, it would have been very. Okay. How do you deal with criticism? Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, you can, there's there's two ways you can you can handle it. Um, you, know, you can let it beat you up into a corner. Um, and crumble, or you can use every ounce of anger and jealousy and, and frustration and channel it into working harder to prove people wrong. You know, so, so, so that is, it. for me, maybe it's wrong, but I find that a very big motivation point, um, is trying to prove people wrong. You know, my, whole, my whole life I doubt You should have seen me in school. Wow. <laughs> my, when I did, uh, so when we do like a life skills lesson, and in this life skills lesson, when I was in school, you had to pick uh, what you wanted to do, work experience. And you had some of the geeks in the class saying, oh, I meant to be an accountant. So I didn't accountants doing it. people were saying, I want to be a property developer. And on my form, I said, I wanted to be a stuntman. And the teacher said, oh, come on, man, look at your job. I said, no, I want to be a stuntman. Because at this point, I wasn't sure how far my dressing was. Um, I said, yeah, I want to be a stuntman, I said, no, I do a job. So I said, okay, I want to be an Olympian. No, 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 come on, let's be serious. Put a real job, I want to be a teacher, you know, work at Tesco. I spent the whole part, I didn't, I didn't write anything down on, on the form, I didn't know what he wanted me to do. Because teachers like that didn't ever really fully support me. And yeah, those were the teachers that used to write in my panels and say, you know, Lewis was disruptive, he was asking all the wrong questions, um, you know, he's never going to amount to anything, he's just a troublemaker, blah, blah, blah. And when the, when the point came, I decided to leave education, which was hard for my levels and concentrate on the Olympics. It was all the motivation I needed to kind of go out there and prove people wrong. Well. Okay. okay. No big thing at all. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I learned from 
so he's an educational mentor, he's not a personal mentor, but through learning through it, named Dan Pena. Every time someone gave him big criticism, he wrote it in a book, he just wrote their name and what they criticised him and just kept a little list. And every time he had any doubts, just looked through the list and realised there were a lot of people that wanted him to fail, so he was never going to fail to prove them wrong. So I guess that's his version of your, one of those. <laughs> okay, so, so talk about your kind of daily habits and rituals that kind of get you on the path to long-term success and anything you do daily in routine. Well, I try not to be superstitious for a lot of reasons, mainly because it's if something happens where I can't replicate what I've done daily, psychologically I don't want it to impact me. Uh, you'll find a lot of gymnasts will do things the same way, they'll get up, they'll brush their teeth the same, they'll... It's just, it's weird. <laughs> Max Whitlock, one of the, the, the leading UK gymnasts, has sort of like crazy OCD. He has to lock his door three times when she gets locked and do all sorts of things. When he unzips his bag, he has to do it like four times. <laughs> and if something happens where you can't do that, you know, your coach might have you bad, you don't want it, I haven't done it, so now I'm like, this might not be working on you know, something's going to go wrong. So I try to eradicate any kind of superstition. Uh, having said that, you know, to, to be a good gymnast, you need consistency. Um, to get consistency, you need thousands and thousands of repetitions. So a lot of my day-to-day -day stuff is just doing the same old boring thing, pretty much eat the same breakfast, same lunch, same dinner. Um, sometimes I dominoes at the weekend. <laughs> Four years ago, we said Subway, but I'm not sponsored by them anymore. Repetition leads to consistency, and consistency is key. I don't think, you know, just in sport, I think no matter what you're doing in life, um, consistency is the answer. So, yeah, very boring. Porridge, food, I go to training, I train, I come back, have lunch. And how do you how do you deal with that? What you use your words the boredom of it, but keep going and doing it all the time. Because there's an end goal, um, and this is where sport or some sports are, aren't for everyone. Gymnastics is a tough sport. I've seen people come and go. Um, I've seen hundred people come and go more talented than me. Um, and uh, it's challenging. You can't ever lose sight of what you want to do. When I watched uh, the like, like, six Olympic Games, I, I remember, you know, I wanted to be an Olympic athlete. Um, and that was always the end goal. But, uh, yeah, you just got to keep, keep going at it, keep doing it, then you just start moving into it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Biggest mistake you've made?
you know, I was suddenly this wonder kid from, from, from Beijing Olympics who was this 19 year old from, from Great Britain who got involved in the Olympics. Um, my nan had passed away about two weeks before the competition, and I was like, well, I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, it's, I, put, I put myself under such pressure um, to win that gold medal. Uh, and in a sport like gymnastics, where it's so technical and anything can go wrong, um, you know, it's just a very, very silly slope. So and then um, I just completely calm myself down. I listen to reggae music. You know, I try and replicate everything I've done in training. You see so many, it's classic, right? You see so many people in, in gymnastics competitions. Right? Like, You're not going to do your routine. No, no, no. <laughs> Mentors, 
I didn't put that one in, by the way. You asked this. Um, I guess, yeah, I took my coat to my mum. Okay. Mum um, was a single parent, and as annoying as I thought she was when I was younger, and as much as you want to be about as quick as you can, um, you know, I look back and I just see what an amazing job she's done. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's an incredible mentor. Um, and my coach, you know, my dad was ever around, and I spent most of my time at the gym. You know, looking back, you know, I always see him as a father figure. Him and the sport itself has taught me so much about how to conduct myself and how to act. Um, so yeah. Who um was there any one individual or individuals that inspired you to want to be great at something or good at gymnastics? Well, this is the thing, and this is the bad thing about Great Britain and gymnastics. Um, back when I was a kid, uh, there was no one to look up to in the sport. Yeah, everyone sucks. So the people that I used to be aspired to be like were, were from like Romania, Russia, and I, I used to look up to this guy, Mario Shizuka. Um, I watched him get the perfect ten on pommels, and that was like wow. And at the time, I was I was okay at pommels, so that was my favourite apparatus. Um, and when I was when I was fifteen, I competed my first. World Cup Grand Prix event, and he was competing. So it was my first ever senior competition, and I, was, I finally got to the point where I was competing against my idol, the guy that I was watching in you know, 1996 you know, in the games. I couldn't believe it. I was in awe the whole competition. And I did, I did my routine, and I came off, and he came up and shook my hand and said, Good job. And I actually came in third behind him, he was in second. Uh, and I stand on the podium. And I, I looked at him and I thought, it, it was so weird how it changed. It was suddenly, there's my idol to, I can't wait to whip your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was so bizarre. It, it literally, like, it just changed. It was like the person I looked up to my whole life, I'd only ever seen him on TV. Uh, and then I, I in awe the whole competition and as soon as we got the podium, I was like, I can't wait to meet you. Like, it was crazy. But yeah, like, he was from Romania. Okay. Can you remember or recall any of the best advice you've ever had? Mentors, managers, coaches, mum, whoever. Best advice you've ever had? Best advice? I've had so much good advice. Um, best advice. Don't do drugs. That was, that was a very good one. <laughs> Is that one of the mistakes you can't mention? <laughs> I've never even had a cigarette. Uh, so yeah, that one drugs. Did it come from Rebel Hallway? <laughs> what comes from Rebel Hallway? No, it's the ice. <laughs>
um, sacrifice, dedication, hard work, strong support group. Um, you need to be able to adapt, to learn from your mistakes. If you don't, it's all going to go wrong. Um, so many, so many different things to learn. And there's no easy way. There is no good way. Normally, it sort of looks like they're out of the way and it's not going to last long. You can't, you can't beat hard work. It's going to take a long time to get to the top. Okay. Questions from you? So I'm going to give you a few seconds just to think of a few. Okay, so we'll go with Mo first. Mo, what's your name, Mo? Hello, Mo. Hi, Mo. Hi, Mo. In case you couldn't hear, 
what your greatest values and how that impact your legacy? Greatest values. Um, what well, I said about being uh, the boss trying to be a good dad. I, I definitely base myself on being a generous person. Um, these are all qualities that I need. You do up. this talk for free. But but no, I mean uh, we do a lot for the charity. I think if you're in a position where you can make a change and make a difference, uh, uh, you should feel uh, you should feel a responsibility to want to help. Interesting on the ADHD thing. Obviously, what had a bollocks. Because how can you get to be the best gymnast in the last hundred years in our country if you've got ADHD? Come. Reality is, the teachers could not engage Lewis in something that he found interesting in school because he had attention surplus order in gymnastics because he's doing it every day. So never let anyone label you or your kids. Often people who are labelled with ADHD, they just have a highly concentrated value system. You know, where they find something really important, but it's, it's very concentrated in one area. Therefore, they're very unconcentrated in other areas. So, yeah, I, I feel sorry that anyone would ever get imposed those labels, because they can totally change direction in someone's life. And then impose that someone doesn't believe in themselves, because their teacher or someone gave them a label. Therefore, they lose that self-belief that those are so important, and then their life goes down a different way. Yes, David, what's your name, sir? David. Hi, David. Hi, David. Olympics, Defer from Spain, um, 
on the floor. He got caught with marijuana in the system, so he got banned for two years. And a guy from Holland, really like uh, got caught with cocaine in the system. Um, but no, no one's been found really with performance enhancements. That was a, a Romanian woman. Just wondering what techniques you use um, when you have doubt or feel like giving up, either in competition or training. So, what is your, you know, what do you imagine? So, before 2012, uh, I didn't really think about giving up. I mean, there was times when it was hard. Trust me, like, as it hard, it was hard just trying to stay focused. But I, not just me, I mean, I put so much into getting to where I wanted to be. My mum had sacrificed so much 
you know, and as you get older, or as I got older, I then started to realise just how hard it was for my mum to help me get to where I am. And that was motivation enough to, to any point where I had a hard I thought, in no way could I ever think about kicking in. Um, I need to you know, do this to my full potential until you know, I can't walk or you know, break a leg. I'm going to absolutely do this anyway. And you'd be surprised how powerful that motivation was for me. Um, you know, it, it, it got tough. Like so much expectation. I think while I was at 2012 Olympic Games, I had 10 sponsors um, at that time. I had all the press, you know, putting me up on the pedestal asking if you're going to get gold. I never at once in interviews said that, yes, I'm going to get gold. I just said, I'm going to try my best. But you just hear, you're going to get gold, you're going to get gold. You're always saying that. There's just so much expectation, so much pressure. Um, but you just got to believe. Um, like I said, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you've always got people around you uh, to help you get where you want to be. There's always doubt, it's always hard times. That's uh, just about doubt and doubt. Yes, right at the back. Hello. Your name's sir? My name's Marcos. I'm Marcos. Hi, Marcos. So, I don't know if I missed it at all. Um, I, I didn't get, what was that made you going into athletics, uh, you know, what was, because you didn't have, for example, um, someone like you are for, for the kids now, or, or the, the, the workshops you, you do the summer camps or things like that, so what you made you go into, into gymnastics, apart from playing tight? Um, so what got me into gymnastics, uh, so I started when I was four, and tr trust me, it wasn't something that I actively said to my mum, my mum wanted to go into gymnastics. Like I said, I had ADHD and I was diagnosed with that at seven. Um, at four years old, I was nuts. Like, I, I ran at eight months old. You know, people always say, you can't run before you can walk. I ran before I could walk. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, that is a true fact. I ran at eight months old. Uh, Mum thought I was like Chucky with the hole in the And uh, so my mum took me to so many different activities and, and, and after school clubs and summer holidays to football, basketball, and horse riding, swimming, and so many different things and I absolutely loved it. You know, I loved being active and doing things and engaging my mind and working stuff out. Um, you know, she, I don't know if you guys know, when I was in this, I had this game called Connects, it was full of little sticks and, and stuff. And I used to build literally like Ferris wheels without looking at instructions. You know, I just used to make these crazy sculptures and you know I was just always on the go. Um, so my mum took me to gymnastics, four years old. Well, anyway, so you're actually supposed to start at five and my old brother was at gymnastics. My mum had took me along uh, to go pick my brother up. Um, and as my mum was watching I was messing around, I was climbing the rafters of the seatings and hanging off things. And the coach saw my mum literally pulling her hair out. And she, she walked up and said to my mum, she was like, do you want to let him join in? You know, to keep him busy. And she was like, oh, thank God, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I started doing gymnastics, um, and I could already do the splits, I was actually flexible. And then the coach was like, he's actually really good, like, bring him again. And that's how I, I, I started doing gymnastics. So I used to do that once a week, um, along with basketball and football and all different things. Uh, I got better at gym, I started going twice a week, and three times a week. Um, and at the age of six, uh, the coach said to my mum, look, 
we, we can't really teach him anything else. You know, there's only a certain level that we can teach him. Um, please take him to this club. But, you know, we believe he's got what it takes to be very special. So that's, that's why I started at the club. I've been at uh, ever since. And we come to the Yeah, never really look back. To be honest. There you go. Yes! Um, how do you cope with the physical how do I cope with the physical pain that I put my body yeah. through? <laughs> Ballerina, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> oh, it's hard. It's very, very hard. Um, I only now realise how important it is to have good posture and to not slouch. Um, Okay. 
kicked off. I tweeted saying you know, it's politics. That's the reason why I didn't make a team. And the press picked it up. And the British Council said, oh, it's not politics. It's just not good enough to make a team. And this, that, and the other. Which was fine because then a year later I went to the European Championships and won gold. <laughs>
Now, where the code's written, it should be that Lewis should have the other hand because also goes away with the hard routine or risk. But the old comeback rule, which no one really thought about, um, because it never really happened, someone getting exactly the same score, 16.033, it means that because his routine was less difficult and we got the same score, his routine worked out to be cleaner. So he actually went above me and got the goal. So when I'd landed my routine and the score came up, and I was about to cheer and it said I was in the second and it had 16.033, everyone booed, everyone was crazy, and no one could believe it. You had this thing called home advantage, right, which didn't happen in London, which everyone was only left about. There was some of the complaints, some of the people that came up to me and said it's completely wrong. Uh, they changed the rule now about the countback system, so that happens, you both get given the gold medal. Um, but yeah, it was, it was completely rubbish. Um, and I think what I'm most proud about with, with the MBE is that was recognised by the Warrington. Like, because I had William and Kate watching uh, the Olympic final, they, they came to uh, the team final, and they came to Mike Hominan's final, um, which was unbelievable. Um, and I think still to this day, I'm like, I'm the only silver medalist to receive an MBE from the Queen. Everyone else was gold medalist, and I was the only silver medalist from that games to, to receive an MBE. So it was a massive pat on the back to know that um, the rest of the world and the world team had seen my achievements and uh, gave me a big pat on the back for work. Give me a sentence, make it fun for them. Um, 
because if it's too intense too early on, and then they're going to burn out. And they're not going to have to burn out. So yeah, ease up and kick my I'm not trying to take that to be a parent, but... Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. You can get carved out of it, you Yeah, you do. Where's my fucking girl? Yes! Your name? Polly. Hi, Polly.
one of his Moradora friends said to him, he was like, oh, your friend's like Lewis Smith. He goes, did you get in a fight the other day? And he was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, some guy at the garage was bragging that he'd hit the guy off the TV. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't know who I was. He didn't have any reason to start a fight with me. He just knew I was off the TV and answered his chances. And I, I actually, I actually had to send my passport off um, to get a private visa. So I was going to Russia um, in about 14 weeks and it was a competition. Um, I had to get passport pictures done. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I had a visa, I had like, I had, like black eye and cut nose. <laughs> uh, thankfully they let me into the country. Uh, but that was a very big lesson to kind of conduct um, yourself. You know, don't put yourself in a situation uh, that you don't want to be in. Um, which is why I very, very rarely go out and please go now. So, <laughs> make sure I have You don't have to be a celeb that that's happened to you, please. <laughs> but no, I mean, I have, I have security now when I go out. Um, not because I think I'm a big shot, it's to prevent things happening that I don't want to happen. Um, not because I understand that, but it's safe. So yeah, since then I have never been punched in the face. Um, so I think I've learned from that one. Yes, Itesh, what's your name, sir? Hi, Tesh. Uh, how do you think the uh, diagnosis of ADHD affected your life? Say your perception of yourself and your perception of your life. Back when I was seven um, and I was diagnosed with ADHD, I'll be honest, I was fine because I didn't have the film it was. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, was, I was nuts. I mean, when I got diagnosed, I was still nuts. Um, I felt normal, so it didn't really affect me until I started taking medication. I was on medication from about 8 to 12. I was on Ritalin, at this time it was a very new thing, not many people knew much about it. I was on 2 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, 2 at the end of school, 2 midway through training. Yeah, and then when I got home, I used to have two dexamphetamine, which was sleep tablets. I will say the first time I took them, it worked after that, and then worked them again. But yeah, I was on a lot of medication. And then at about 12, 13 years old, I started to get a bit, a bit more conscious about you know, what I wanted myself and things like that. You know, I remember saying to my mum, I was like, Mum, I don't you know, like these pills, I don't know how they make me feel. She was like, what do you like about them? I was thinking, it makes me feel like a zombie. You know, the kids are out playing. I just want to sit in the classroom and go to sleep and tired. Um, and it was great for my schoolwork. I was getting so much done. Um, you know, in my gymnastics classes, I was listening. You know, I wasn't performing the best, but I was listening. I, was, I wasn't disturbing the other kids. I was focusing. Um, but it wasn't me. And the older I got, the more I could see that. And I, now I can understand the benefits of having them in the right doses at the right times, um, you know, you get the work done. Um, can I just jump in and ask a question? When you're in the gym, can you concentrate? I'm better now, yeah. yeah. So you can concentrate in the gym? Yeah. yeah. So you don't have ADHD? <laughs> you don't have attention deficit all that, because you can concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very strongly about this. All right. Alright, let's, let's break it down. How long have we got? <laughs> We're out of time. Are you, is that enough? 
you're not, um, you're not going to bill us anymore, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember this is my business partner. Right, 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 it's breakdown. So when I, when I was younger, I was nuts. Like, I was off the walls. My coach he used to punish me. He used to send me up the rope. Mm -hmm. The rope climbing in the gym every time I was in this gym. Uh, I became best friend with a spider called Fred at the top of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> right. And when he got bored of sending me up the rope, I then have to be 50 surfers on the bombers. Like, I used to be very talented. I used to be able to watch something and then do it, which was very annoying to a lot of the other kids. So you could concentrate on something. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but listening was, was so hard. Following instructions was so hard. Um, I was hiding stuff. I was, I was making people's bags, but I was all over. And I, I wanted to learn, I wanted to focus. Um, but my mind was just all over the place. And I loved that gym, I loved everything. But I was crazy. Um, as you get older, you start to mellow out. There's uh, certain aspects of ADHD that you maintain. And I did a test. So I, I talked about Channel 5 program, my secret past, and I did a test. Um, one was uh, a reactional test. And it had all these brain things looked on. Um, and when I write, I can't press this button, and this button. And then I did another test where it was very slow and boring, and it was kind of impossible to get it wrong. What they did is they monitored your, your eye and head movement. And at the end of it all, the guy said to me, like, how do you feel now when you perform tasks and things like that? And I said to him, like, I said, like, I don't feel like I've got ADHD, but I know for a fact that when I do normal things, I get very tired and very frustrated. But when I read a book, it takes me so long to read a book, not because I'm dyslexic, it just takes, if there's, if there's ever noises going on in the room, I cannot read a book, it's impossible. It needs to be dead quiet, and I can, I can focus on it. Um, I said, just performing normal tasks, so I just, I just get I just get, nap, I just get tired. Like that's why I was never good in school because I'd be able to focus for 15 minutes and then my brain would just go and then I just I just be bored. Like, I just need to do something different. Um, so he said it's very interesting. So my test results were on the reaction side of things. I put my reaction was as fast as every other person who doesn't have ADHD. It was faster than everyone else tested with ADHD, and it was just as um, it was as normal as everyone else without ADHD. But it showed my brain capacity was working twice as hard as a normal person to get the job done. Um, which is what I, what I said, you know, I get a lot more tired than the average person doing normal things. Um, and then there was another one with um, these little squares with crosshairs in it, with a little dot, and it showed you my head and eye movement. Now, people without ADHD, this, this dot never really moved from the centre of the cross. People with ADHD and autism, it was a bit all over the place. Now mine was, it was on the crosshairs, but it was a little bit smudgy. Now it wasn't all over the place, but it was a little bit more erratic than another person. Um, and again, it showed you that my brain capacity was through the roof to perform this normal task, which performed better than people with ADHD, but just the same speed as that. So it showed that I was able to understand what ADHD was, what the things I struggled with, and I've taught myself to work twice as hard as normal people to stay focused on the things that I need to play focus for. So, like gymnastics, um, I loved it, and over time I then taught myself to focus on it harder. And even though that was a tough job, you know, I was able to get to where I wanted to be today, and showed why I was terrible at sport. So we're going to pause there. Do you remember what we talked about earlier? Some things that really clearly Lewis maybe didn't like that much or weren't really important to him, he linked it to gymnastics. And he was able to focus more on those things because it helped him 
with gymnastics. We've had a little bit of talk earlier on, not this subject, but you know, <coughs> this is funny how things seem to lock, mm. things cross over sport, business. Yeah. Uh, yes, your name? Uh, 
is Louis Chimp. That's it, I'm sure. Uh, chimp Paradox. Paradox. Um, I don't have a chimp. I have a little devil in a leotard. <laughs> I tried it. But it's there. No, I mean, all seriousness. Um, again, it, it comes all the way back to having self-belief. Um, and again, in gymnastics, repetition is key.
There was all there was was GB flags and Hungarian flags. That's all there was. And uh, come to my point, the guy could finish his routine. I was next. I don't like to touch anyone, so standing there, like the competitor walks off. I walk up. So my coach goes to the pommel horse and then does the handles. I go up to the pommel horse. I check the handle width. He does them up. I go to the chalk bowl. My chalk melts. And you hear the odd few shouts. And it's, it's really quiet. And then, say you're, you're like the judges. So the judges are there and you can see them all kind of like working out the routine before.
and all of a sudden you go, everything comes rushing back, and it's just like, shit. <laughs> I've just done one of the best routines of my life, and then you finish, and then you find out you get sick. <laughs> but but that was that was that was the most intense time of life, and that's pretty much one of the only times I've ever thought to myself, what if it goes wrong? And thankfully, I had the chimp there, and probably sat on my shoulder the whole way through the routine. I'd done all the correct training I'd get myself into a position where I was 100% ready, I was 100% consistent, and I just let my body take over. So that's why it's important to prepare. Inspirational, I certainly did. It's been a real privilege. Thank you very much. Please, you want to stand up?